Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's episode coming to you following the Jets' Week 1 matchup against the Baltimore Ravens, where they lose at home 24-9. Wasn't the greatest game in the world, but you know what? There were a lot of positive parts that we're going to talk about. But more exciting than that is we're here recording this podcast with live video at the same time. It's actually going to be posted to YouTube, thanks to the wonderful producer Katie Krejcik, rhymes with paycheck. We'll be referred to that moving forward, and she's a lifelong Jets fan, just like me, and we're super happy to have her. Yeah, happy to be here. Let's go Jets. Uh, new week next week, you know, so that's staying optimistic. That's the mindset. You are one of the, uh, feels like these days, one of the few people that actually still believes that uh, things can turn around. Everyone gets so bent out of shape about week one, you lose, and it feels like the sky is falling, and I think we're dealing with that through Jets yeah. Jets Nation right now. And It's been a decade of optimism. It's been, it's, <laughs> it's been tough to, to say the least, but you know what? We're here. And we're going to talk about what's going on in week one and the way the Jets are going to rebound from it. And again, we are going to be posting this to YouTube and uh, all the thanks go to Katie. Basically with the schedule with this moving forward, because we're just trying this once, it's going to be kind of a, a trial run to see how everything goes. And um, from there, you can find it on YouTube probably Wednesday or Thursday or so. It's going to be under This is the Jet Life. You can see it there. And then moving forward, I've got uh, the schedule is going to be an episode next week, audio only. That's going to be the 20th. The 27th is following the Bengals week. Um, Shannon likes to refer to it as wedding weekend. The 24th is when I'm getting married. So it's going to be a little bit of a a thing to to watch the game. Who knows how hungover and rough shape I'll be in. And then finding notes and whatnot. I probably will just rip together a pretty quick episode on the 27th. Audio only. And then maybe perhaps, if we're so lucky, Katie will come back do a couple more uh, video episodes with us and we can go from there. I'm also toying with the idea of doing some Monday episodes rather than Tuesdays because I think I'm a little bit more raw and real on Mondays. I have a lot more time to process by Tuesday, which I think can be good analytically, but also takes away some of that fire that I'm feeling early in the week. And maybe getting the episodes out on a day earlier could be helpful. We shall see. All to be determined, but we're excited. So for those who are listening on the audio platforms, you might... Uh, have some some visual cues you may be missing out on if you want to see them. Again, go to YouTube, but uh, feels a little bit different, a little awkward, and you hear someone else's voice, that's Katie. This is why it's happening, and we're going to go from there. 
But please rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And if you do like the YouTube video and you do go to see it, just like it, subscribe, or leave a comment or something just so that we know that, you know, it's worthwhile and keep doing these things. So that is all I got for the introduction here. And now we can start getting into the podcast talking about Jets versus Ravens week one. And what a game this was. 24 to 9. We're playing with Joe Flacco. And instantly, I think the vibe is a little bit low because it's pouring rain. And what's the last thing that you want for a new offense and a bunch of rookies and a bunch of guys on the field just trying to get things right for the first time and get a little bit of cohesion and rhythm with a bunch of new parts? You got pouring rain and elements in there. And it didn't make things easy, clearly, on Joe Flacco, who struggled all day. Um, there were some other players slipping all over the field, caused some extra turnovers, some fumbles that perhaps wouldn't have happened, maybe some missed kicks, bad punts. It didn't help anything. Um, the game overall was pretty ugly from an offensive standpoint. I think that the defense showed a lot of promise, but we do need to find a way to score points. Holding the Ravens to 24, basically 10, 13 points for the first three and a half quarters was awesome. But when you give up 24 points to the Ravens, you got to feel okay about that you got to score more. It's just not enough. Nine points. Should have been 10. Should have been 13. Plenty of opportunities for the Jets in this game. And the Ravens, I went into this week saying it. That's a good team. The Ravens are one of the best teams in the entire league. And Katie knows I'm on record saying that this is the only team that I've actually put money down on to win the Super Bowl, the Ravens. And uh, there's reason to it. I think they had bad luck last year. I think it's turning around this year. And the fact that the Jets played them really well, I think is a reason to be positive about the whole thing, but there are more positives and negatives that go into it. I want to start with the positives because I think it's important for everybody to hear that given the overall negativity surrounding the fan base and the team right now. So talking positives, the rookie draft class shines. We knew that the draft class was exciting on paper when Joe Douglas got them. This year, perhaps his flashiest draft class of all time, getting some really big names, Jermaine Johnson, Garrett Wilson, and Sauce Gardner early in the first round going with Brees Hall after that. Michael Clemens is playing Jeremy Rucker wasn't utilized in this game yet. He was a healthy scratch, but he'll be back in later. Max Mitchell got a start. It was a lot on the field for him. To see them play as well as they did was awesome, starting with Jermaine Johnson, who had a sack. Pressures in this game with minimal snaps. We had Michael Clemens, who was showing his strength early and often. I think that Michael Clemens is a really nice piece to have for this team because we've got some speed rushers on the edge. We don't really have one of those big bruising, powerful guys that hits you in the mouth and plays violent the way Michael Clemens does. And to see him do that, be involved in gang tackles early, a lot of promise for that guy to be part of the rotation. We also had Brees Hall, who had a bad fumble, had a couple tough carries early in the game. His first ran, first run in the NFL went for uh, like negative two yards, and right away you're just like, shit, this feels like preseason again. But after that, he made a couple nice plays, made a couple nice catches, showed himself in pass blocking, and I think we've got a good weapon there. When you put him next to Michael Carter, who had a great game, that's a nice one-two punch. Garrett Wilson didn't get a lot of run early, came in later on. His first catch made three guys miss, almost picks up a first down on a ridiculous Joe Flacco across the field, ill-advised pass, never supposed to do that, football 101, but he makes the throw. Garrett Wilson somehow shakes three defenders and almost picks up a first down, and right away you can see this guy's got it. So really excited with Garrett Wilson. Then you got Sauce Gardner, who played out of his mind ridiculously well in this game. I'm starting to call him Sauce now. I know I said I was going to call him Ahmad Gardner, but right away you see him play, and it is evident, it's apparent, this guy is the real deal. 100% he's guarding guys like Mark Andrews with ease. He had a beautiful breakup in the end zone. You look at the numbers that he and DJ Reed posted as outside cornerbacks in this game. I think they gave up two receptions. 
They played ridiculous. He's an absolute baller. He can tackle well. He is one of the best players in this defense instantly week one. And you don't expect that of a rookie. You expect a learning curve. You expect to show some promise and then grow, build from that. At least in the Jets' history, we don't have a lot of guys that just come in and, and take the league by storm right away. And I think he is an easy bet to win Defensive Player of the Year. He just needs a couple flashy plays because when you have a game like this, he doesn't show up much. He's not on the screen much. They're not throwing his way. He's not getting to make those pass defenses. When they do throw his way, he makes them. Um, I hope more people test him because I really think he's going to do really well. And then the last guy that was part of that rookie class that was positive, Max Mitchell. Um, the positives being that he got the game out of his way. I, I think that he had some up and ups and downs. His first series or two were not good. He was getting a lot of help inline blocking from Tyler Conklin early. And then, you know, getting pushed back doesn't have the power really. But when you see the way he finished the game, getting better and then getting it out of his way to then potentially move into week two as the right tackle, as we don't know what's going to happen with Dwayne Brown. Is he going to come off of IR? Or are we going to get another guy in here to play? Connor McDermott, maybe he'll get healthy and switch in. It's up to Joe Douglas and, and Robert Sala to figure out how they want to kind of work that all out. But I think that Max Mitchell playing, getting through the game, getting better as it goes on, at least is a sign of, of optimism and reason to be somewhat excited moving forward. Then we got the defensive game plan. Another reason to be positive in this game, because when you look at the defensive game plan, I think we all could have come into this thing thinking three things need to happen. Defensively, we have to stop Lamar Jackson. We need to contain him inside. We need to stop the run. We need to cover Mark Andrews. When you look at Lamar Jackson, he was held to six carries for 17 yards, and the Jets had incredible discipline along the edge on the outside, making sure that he was not going to get around the outside. They stayed in their lanes. They had great integrity, making sure if he goes outside, they shifted laterally with him. They flushed him to the opposite side of where the guys were, and he wasn't able to run. Then you look at the overall rushing attack of their team. You got Kenyon Drake in there. I know they're missing J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, but you got Kenyon Drake running 11 carries for 31 yards. It's 2.8 yards per carry, just like Lamar Jackson. Their whole team overall, 21 carries, 63 yards, a 3-yard per carry average. That is actually the lowest rushing total in the Lamar Jackson era and is a huge feather in the cap of the Jets who came into the season thinking maybe we didn't have a great run defense. Maybe not having great one-tech, two-tech players, no Foley Fadikasi, big run stuffers would hurt us. But we saw in this game that a team that wanted to run, that's built on running, a game in the rain, we held them to 63 rushing yards, kept Lamar Jackson in check. You got to be excited. And then Mark Andrews, five catches, 52 yards, seven targets, play broken up by Sauce Gardner. If you're giving up 52 yards to Mark Andrews and he's the big weapon for that offense, you got to feel good. So I think when you look at that, the defensive game plan was clear, it was carried out, and that's the reason the Baltimore Ravens struggled. So I think it's good to see that because I was really worried about the zone defense and the run defense. We got good things from them. And then lastly, positive in this game, I think it's my last one. Yep. Last thing I got, playmakers on defense. For the first time, the Jets actually have some playmakers. DJ Reed, beautiful interception, something we didn't see from Jets players last year. Week one, he's in there making that big catch, going up and getting it. He had a fumble, a forced fumble in the game as well. We had big hitting from Quan Alexander. Quincy Williams we're used to seeing, but with Quan Alexander in the mix and Jordan Whitehead hitting harder than Marcus May or Ashton Davis ever have, I mean, it was nice to see that early and often to really set the tempo and the tone in this game. Quinnen's in true form. And the pass rush rotation with all these guys, John Franklin Myers, Carl Lawson, Michael Clemens, Jacob Martin, Jermaine Johnson, you name them. I mean, we got guys, we got horses in there, and you got to feel good about the situation there. So that's three big positives. And you look at the rookie class, 
the defensive game plan going well, playmakers on defense and playmakers on the field, really. So plenty of reasons to be positive about this team moving forward. It's week one, a game in the rain against a great team. Let's move past it. But we have to move to the negatives. I was uh, sad we got rid of the score because I originally said, you know, Ravens 24, Jets 27. I was uh, half right there. <laughs> you had 24 points, but you did say that the Jets were going to win the game. And I said the Jets were going to win the game, but 27 points, I think we both were thinking that Joe Flacco could come in and do a little bit more than nothing. Yeah. And yeah, it was a 9-24 to loss to the Ravens, so there's obviously some negatives. And the first one that comes to mind is absolutely asinine, ridiculous. I can't believe I'm saying it. In week one, the kicker bullshit that's happening right now with Greg Zerline missing his first kick of the season and then later in the game missing an extra point after everything we've gone through for the past four years dealing with, I don't even want to list them, the ridiculous names that we've rolled out at kicker in a ridiculously important position in the NFL when you need to have a kicker who can get you points and the Jets struggle to get points. And you've got Greg Zerline go out there. Granted, it's in the rain. It's definitely a little bit harder to kick there than it would be potentially somewhere else. Maybe there's some rust, some in-game nerves. But for crying out loud, can we make a freaking kick? You know Justin Tucker's making his kicks. We got a rookie kicker, Cade York, making all of his kicks. We're going to see him next week for the Browns. And Greg Zerline, Greg the Leg, Legatron, who is not worthy of any nickname at this point in time, kept the Jets from scoring, you know, 13 points and at least making it an interesting game. Early on, it just, you can't be having that. And now Eddie Panero has already been picked up by another team. Maybe we made the wrong decision in taking Greg Zerline, but it's just, uh, it's really frustrating to just year in, year out, have a bad kicker. And I'm not sure he's going to struggle for the rest of the year, but just, ugh, game one. Next negative stadium was flat, and the fan base is sour, and I'm bummed about it because I heard that early in the game, we heard the Jets' chance. People were fired up. There were big hits early on, and the fan base was there. But the minute things started to go south, the minute the Jets' offense is struggling, the fan base is struggling to stay with them, to keep them hyped, and it makes it difficult on the team. It's uh, it's never easy to quarterback when you're being booed. It's never easy to be a coach when the fans aren't behind you. Home court advantage is supposed to be a real thing. By the end of the game, we didn't have it the same way. And then the fan base overall just being sour. It's like people are saying stuff like, enough is enough. We got to stop. We got to start winning games. It's like, so what? Be emotional. We lost the game and abandon the process and just make irrational decisions and blow the whole salary cap and ruin the team for the next 10 years. We have to go through the process. We have to get good draft classes. We have to make smart financial decisions. That is what will yield a good team. We're not cursed. Eventually, the things are going to turn around, and it's just uh, you got to go through the process. I think there's enough stuff in that positive section we talked about to be a little bit more optimistic after playing the Baltimore Ravens, one of the best teams in the league, and losing after playing great defense with your backup quarterback in the rain. It's just, you know, let's let's not take it too uh, too seriously here. Another chance to rebound next week. Am I crazy, Katie? No. Not crazy. She's confirmed I'm not crazy. I was telling you earlier, like, I I remember I was at an Arizona versus Jets game, one of Sanchez's last uh, season games, and the boos, they, I, they haunt me to this day. I've been there. I've, I've heard it. I don't understand it, but... Yeah, why would you want I, – I understand, like, trying to send a message to ownership and other people, but, like, you're just making it harder on a guy that, like, in reality, if we're trying to help this team along, we, like, at least support them through the first game with one of the youngest rosters in the league and a lot of changes and just, you know, just bear with them a little bit. I know it's tough because you've been doing it for so long, but, yeah. The offensive line, it's a work in progress. 
The left side, not so good. You wanted to see George Fant and Lake and Tomlinson play great. They didn't. The right side, believe it or not, was actually a little bit better. Elijah Vera Tucker is very good. He had some mistakes in this game, but he's going to be really, really good. So I feel good about him. Max Mitchell, I said, was kind of trending up towards the end of the game. But uh, it's a work in progress. And on top of that, it's super thin. This right now is the best five-man unit we can roll out there. And we don't have a lot behind it. So when one of these guys goes down and you're saying, like, you know, George Fant or Max Mitchell, what if you don't have them and you're doing Connor McDermott? It could only get worse. And when you look at the Ravens, Justin Matabuike had a great game. Um, Michael Pierce had a great game. Justin Houston had a great game. But it's not the best defensive line we're going to face this year. It's not the best pass rush we're going to face. There's better ones coming up next week, for an example. is going to be much tougher. And so uh, it's just not great to see. But there is time for them to work it out. There were some moves. George Fant shifting from left to right to left to right, back to left. Um, you know, so week one. Other negative, Joe Flacco. He's our quarterback right now. We don't have Zach Wilson, and Joe Flacco is slow, regressing, not sharp. He moves like he's made of stone. And uh, what we wanted him to do to, to kind of operate the offense effectively, it didn't happen. And that big arm that he's got, he didn't get the ball downfield. I think he only threw like 20 yards one time in the whole game. Um, he can't move. He can't get out of his own way. He doesn't want to get hit. He throws the ball. He kind of like holds on to it looking downfield, but then can't find anybody, can't make the throws, and then just kind of dumps it off to somebody when the play's blown up. But it, it just, it was ugly, and uh, he's got to get better. I mean, we got to get to Zach Wilson, or he's got to get better, or we're going to need some really big plays from other people, and that might be up to, like, Mike LaFleur to just get it in other guys' hands, maybe some more, like, trickeration to get Braxton Berrios the ball early. Get it out of Joe Flacco's hands. Just get it to Garrett Wilson get it to Braxton Berrios, some other people. Maybe the defense can get a score. It'd be good to grab a win before Zach gets in there, um, but the last negative, the team is 0-1. I mean, no way around it. We can paint positives all day long, and I will for the remainder of this episode. Try to be positive, but we're 0-1. We're in a hole here. You look at the AFC East, we're in last place, and uh, it's not great. So overall, the Jets played one of the best teams in the entire NFL, in the pouring rain with a ton of new pieces and a 37-year-old backup quarterback and a lot of unlucky bounces. And still they stayed in this game, played pretty well, couldn't score on offense, but the defense, the young pieces, they show you enough to be excited. And Joe Flacco's in the way right now. Zach Wilson's going to come in, and he's either going to fix the thing and be part of the solution, or he's going to remain part of the problem, and the quarterback's going to be an issue, and we're going to move on from him. But this team is getting better one way or another, whether it's with or without Zach Wilson. We are heading in the right direction. We have too many elite players to be stopped. We're not going to be held down for too long. Enough from me right now. We got to take a break. We got to hear what does my dad think about this whole thing. We got to take a quick stop at Father Time where we hear my dad's thoughts. And for those who are watching on YouTube, this is what it looks like when I do Father Time. It is just a printed out email that I get during his work day. He said he was on the road today. I don't know if he wrote it on his phone. I don't know if he got back to the office and typed it up in an email. But I have the pleasure of reading it, his thoughts on the Jets' week one game. It is called Butter Side Up. This is this week's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Let's say this is September 10th, the Saturday before the week one game with the Ravens. Would you be okay hearing Lamar Jackson would run for 17 yards and throw for 213 with a 57% completion percentage? I bet you would. How about the run-heavy and dependent Ravens would run for 63 total yards with a 3 yards per carry average? Would you surpri be surprised if the score was 10-3 to three after 3.5 three quarters? I would be very happy. 
and I think most Jets fans would be. How about a Jets second-string quarterback throwing for over 300 yards? What if you found out the running game would produce 5 yards per carry and have over 80 yards on the ground? These are actual stats, and stats can be deceiving, but John Harbaugh probably is glad he doesn't have to play the Jets again anytime soon. I get the final score, but the Ravens were tested. There, however, were some game changers. An interception in the first half that led to a touchdown. Two horrible punts, one of which almost went into the stands. Both led to scores. A bad fumble. And a missed field goal and extra point. Berrios had to fair catch nearly everything. Brent Boyer, special teams coach, looked very bad on Sunday. And a couple of vets have to wake up. Lakin Tomlinson was not ready to play football on Sunday. And let's keep an eye on LaMarcus Joyner, who is more interested in looking after Sauce's zone than his own. There are a lot of bright spots in this loss, and I'm really looking forward to another physical game in Cleveland. At its core, I saw a competitive team that is willing to fight to the end. Go Jets. Wow. That is this week's Father Time. Well done, Dad. Um, Put a lot of stuff into words. A lot of it kind of resonating what I'd said earlier, but then some other thoughts that he's got in there. And when you look at it, I think one of the really... uh, one of the great lines that he has is, is the LaMarcus Joyner thing. And I said that last week, I kind of, without letting him know, kind of said his thoughts on LaMarcus Joyner, that he hasn't made super clear through his father times, but he's like not super high on LaMarcus Joyner coming into the season and thinks that he's probably um, going to be replaced anytime soon. He thinks he's maybe going to have a phantom injury that just kind of makes him disappear from the NFL sometime soon. And when you saw the first game with Joyner, it was not so great, but I love that he's more interested in looking at Sauce's zone than his own. And frankly, I think we all were more interested in looking at Sauce's zone than Joyner's zone because that one was ugly and Sauce's was great and we need to see more from our safeties. If our guys on the outside are locking up and then people are trying to slip through, look at all those touchdowns that were scored this week. The one was on Bryce Hall, but the other ones that are sleeping, slipping over the defense and getting to that, that third level past everybody, it's like we're keeping the guys in front of us this whole defense is built on not letting guys behind you, and it's basically LaMarcus Joyner's sole responsibility to keep that from happening as a free safety. Um, I know there's different you know, cover two schemes and stuff that they're playing depending on which side of the field the ball is thrown to, but still he seemed too confused and too out of place for a veteran in this team. The reason he's playing instead of a young guy like a Tony Adams or somebody else is because he's a veteran and he's supposed to know where to be. He's supposed to know how to do this offense, but he didn't do it well, and I'm with him on that. Lakin Tomlinson... It was a surprise. Lakin Tomlinson should be really good. He's been a pro bowler. He's been in that system with a really good O-line around him. He did struggle early in his career. It's not like he was a guy that came into the NFL and rocked right away. He had a lot of trouble, had some really bad years, looked like a potential bust early on, and he did end up getting it together. But what we saw this last week was was more early in his career than recently, and we got to hope that he gets that together soon because he's supposed to be one of the big additions and one of the best players on this offense to make the whole thing go. That left side was was ugly. But where I disagree with my dad here, um, and I love what he said, like everything about this game, you look at the stats, you look at the things, and when you were sitting there, like, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff about this. You should be excited about what the Jets were able to do as a team, especially defensively. But the way he's so upset with Brant Boyer and the special teams unit, I'm not echoing the exact same thing. I'm upset with Greg Zerline. I already said that. We know that. Braden Mann, I still am somewhat high on Braden Mann because I like the guy. Maybe it's because we drafted him. Maybe it's because he tackles really well because um, he's a cool guy, I think. He had a couple bad punts. Inexcusable. He's got to get better for sure. But I thought overall the Ravens have a pretty good return team. Uh, Devin Duvernay is one of the better punt returners in the league. I think they got good kick return team. And Braxton Berrios returned the ball really well. So when you see 
us shutting down Devin Duvernay for the most part in the return game, and Braxton Berrios with a 15-yard per carry punt return average, which is already, Katie, fourth in the league. He's already fourth in the league in punt return average after being the best punt returner last year. He's picking up right where he left off. I mean, we got to be excited about Berrios, right? I follow him. I follow him on Instagram, for sure. Yeah, I don't follow all of them, but yeah, he's cool. He's one of the good ones. I mean, Braxton Berrios is cool, and he's good at what he does, and he had a great game, and I'm overall pretty pleased with the special team's performance, I think. I just need those two big spotlight guys, Greg Zerline and Braden Mann, to get it together in week two and beyond because those two are the most crucial and important ones outside of Berrios. Um, but we'll see. I mean, he may be onto something. Perhaps Braxton Berrios was fair catching too many. Perhaps the guys on the outside blocking the gunners didn't hold their blocks for long enough. I was taking a peek. I think it was DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner on a lot blocking those gunners, and it's not a natural position for them Perhaps you can get a different guy who's a little bit more versed in blocking, maybe a, a backup safety. Tony Adams, a scrappy guy who can put a little bit more time into working on that craft. Uh, but we shall see what the Jets decide to do moving forward. Overall, it was a great father time. Happy to have it on this podcast. Happy to have you back, Dad. Thank you for that one. And before we go over to the next section, which is going to be an AFC East check-in, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. Next order of business is to take a quick check-in of the AFC East to see where the Jets fare. Are we still in the race for the division? And at this point in time, one game, we are one game back. The Buffalo Bills began the season playing against the Los Angeles Rams on Thursday Night Football. They win that game 31-10. to Absolutely dominate them. They're a team that were a lot of people's Super Bowl favorite. Josh Allen was a lot of people's MVP favorite. And they picked up right where they left off against last year's Super Bowl winner, 31 to 10 away. Yeah, they're a really good team. They're 1 0. We got to watch out for them. Their next game is Monday Night Football, 7 15 against the Titans. Yes, Monday Night Football at 7 15. There are two Monday Night Football games this week. The other one at 8 30 on ABC will be between the Vikings and the Eagles at Philadelphia. Um, this game's going to be played on ESPN at 7 15. So the Titans didn't have a great week one after. Uh, giving up that second half to the Giants and losing that game at the last uh, waning minutes. The Bills probably will be able to handle them, but let's keep in mind the tech, the Titans did have, what, the best record in the AFC last year. So potentially they can make things interesting and maybe just slow the Bills down a little bit. But they do look poised to win this division and potentially be competing for the Super Bowl in the playoffs. The Dolphins and Patriots, a big-time divisional matchup, was the first game for both of those two teams where the Dolphins win 20-7 to in Miami which is becoming a thing that happens all the time now. It feels like the Dolphins are always winning um, against the Patriots these days. And Patriots and Mac Jones struggled pretty mightily. And we heard a lot of stuff about that team in the offseason that the coaching staff didn't make any sense because it didn't. Matt Patricia calling plays makes no sense. Joe Judge being involved in the offense, not what you want. A lot of uh, negative publicity and, and press around the Patriots. And then it showed up right away when the season began. So I don't know what Bill Belichick is doing. I think it's pretty clear to me and most people that Tom Brady was the reason they were good. Not Bill Belichick, but at the end of the day, he is one of those coaches that's won a lot of games. He does have a chance to turn this team around. The Patriots next week are going to play against the Steelers in Pittsburgh at 1 p.m. So that's going to be an interesting game because the Steelers won their week one matchup, but they lost T.J. Watt. They lost potentially Najee Harris. They're still playing Mitch Trubisky behind five turnovers from just uh, Joe Burrow. They still only got 20. 23 points, and it took them five quarters to do it with all those short fields. So you don't feel anything about that offense. They're losing one of their best defensive players in T.J. Watt. 
their best defensive player. And we'll see what Mac Jones can do. He had some spasms. Looks like he's going to be ready to play this game. I hope that the Steelers can win this one and really push the Patriots to the basement of this division. But we shall see. That'll be an interesting one for sure. And then another good litmus test for the uh, Dolphins, who are going to be playing the Ravens this week, the team that we just lost to. And I'm talking about them like they're one of these great teams and one of the you know real horses of the AFC. And the Dolphins are trying to be that. They're kind of in the wild card talk right now. I mean, maybe they think they can compete for the division if they can beat the Bills a couple times. I think they're still far away from that. But they beat the Patriots pretty surely, 20-7 to in that first game. And if they can beat the Ravens, a really good team, they're going to feel really good about themselves. But my expectation is that the Baltimore Ravens are a step ahead, a real veteran team ready to make a good playoff run. The Dolphins are on the fringe but not quite there yet. And the Ravens should be able to take care of business in Baltimore. We'll find out. That is what's going on with the AFC East. Did you hear that Rick Ross put a million on Miami to win the Super Bowl? Did you? I'll have to fact check that. But I did not hear that. A million dollars to win like $24 million or something? Like, I mean, you have the money to throw around. What's a million dollars, Tom? But still, I don't, I don't support that. I put $50 on the Ravens to win like 900 and I barely support that. But All right, Dolphins. We Obviously, the Dolphins haven't been like one of the best teams in the league in a long time, but it should not be forgotten that they are an absolute rival of the Jets. We hate the Patriots because of everything with Tom Brady, but before the Patriots, when the Patriots sucked, it was the Dolphins. It was Dan Marino. It was Don Shula. It was the Dolphins teams over the years, Mercury Morris, you name them. Those Dolphins players are the worst, and they are a real true rivalry that that runs deep. And it's exciting to have it back a little bit. They signed some, you know, Tyreek Hill is not a great guy. We almost got him. I know we were in the running for him. I was a little bit mixed on that whole thing. But he's a jerk. We're not rooting for him. Tua Tungabailoa, it's easy to root against him, I think, because uh, he doesn't have a good arm, and a lot of people are standing up for him, and it's easy just to be like, Listen, this guy's not the answer. How are you trying to convince yourself? Uh, similar to like Mac Jones, where it's like, I don't know what they're seeing. Because to me, it's like, if we had these quarterbacks, I would be nervous. If we had Tua Tungavailoa or Mac Jones as a quarterback right now, it'd be like, the way I feel with Zach Wilson. Nervous. Like, this might not be the answer. We're probably going to have to move on. But there's a lot more people in the camps of Mac Jones and Tua than there are in the camp of Zach Wilson. I think we're all pretty much not sure about Zach Wilson. I have his jersey. I have his jersey. I also follow him on Instagram. I follow him on Instagram. I was him as Halloween last year. I'll support him to the end of time. But, yeah. you know, it's a cautious optimism. After Sam Darnold, who I couldn't have been more sure. Like, he was, I was 95% like, wow, holy shit. When we drafted him, I was like, well, we just won Super Bowls. It's like we got Aaron Rodgers, and we're now going to win. And that lasted all of, like, that offseason. It is what it is, but we shall see what will happen to that AFC East as a couple teams are uh, trying to be dominant, a couple teams are trying to get into the conversation, and the Patriots are gasping, grasping at straws, and gasping for dear life. I would just like to note that I, I, I do hate the Pats more than the, the Dolphins, jokingly. I hate the Pats more. I hate the Pats more. I hate the Dolphins a lot, hate, hate is a strong word. <laughs> Not really? I mean, it's, the, it's a, the right word. It's appropriate. I think that it's important to use it when you're talking about the Patriots. Um, and probably the Dolphins, too. But that's our AFC East. The next order of business would be to talk about the offense going through position by position. And we've talked about a lot of them already, so I will try to kind of breeze through it. Katie's a busy 
busy lady. I don't want to keep her here all night just talking about every single position on the field, but we will. Quarterback. Joe Flacco, he was not great. Um, the guy we talked about, he's like slow, can't get out of his own way, can't move, not throwing the ball downfield. He threw the ball 59 times, the most of any quarterback in the entire NFL. Tell me how a game in the – and I understand that we're losing, so you throw the ball when you're losing, but, you know, half the teams lost this week. 16 teams lost. The Jets were one of them. They're playing a game in the rain with Joe Flacco at quarterback, the backup quarterback behind this offensive line, and he throws the ball 59 times, six times more than the next most, which was Joe Burrow at 53. That is not what you want to see from Joe Flacco. He did get to 307 yards, a counting stat that means nothing when you throw 59 times. He had one of the lowest yards per attempt in the entire league. And uh, not a great game. Not a great game overall from Joe Flacco. He can bounce back. We can blame some rain. We can blame some rust. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities to start games, and the Ravens are a great team, and we have a lot of young people. We can give him some benefit of the doubt, but I think we all know that when Zach Wilson is back and ready to play, regardless of what happens in Week 2 or Week 3 with Joe Flacco, we want to get back to Zach Wilson. We don't want to be in this Joe Flacco experience for too much longer, regardless of what happens. It's <laughs> We don't want to be in there for too long. Moving over to running back, starting with Michael Carter, and spoiler alert, he is our offensive player of the game. You're going to notice that this board right now is completely empty. I didn't want to write him in already because then you'd know who won. So next week they'll be filled in. It'll always be backdated one episode if we do it on video. Um, otherwise, you just have to keep track yourself. I will be keeping track on this board, but um, we got the AFC East there, offense, defense, special teams. When you look at offense, it is none other than Michael Carter because the guy was dominant from the very first play of the game. To late, he did have a horrible drop, and I really did struggle giving him offensive player of the game because it was obvious that he was the best offensive player for the Jets, like from the beginning to the end. But that one dropped touchdown was so egregious and so easy to catch. It was the worst drop in the entire game. It was an easy touchdown when we needed one so badly, and it's something that he should be able to catch every single time. And so I was just like, man, do I really want to give it to him after that drop? But the way the offense played overall, there wasn't another guy that really stood out as being like, and, and there was another one that I have that would have been really controversial, and I felt less comfortable with that. I'll get to that soon. Um, but Michael Carter, 100 yards from scrimmage, 60 yards rushing on a 6.0 yard per carry average, 40 yards receiving. He looked good all game from the very beginning, had some burst, showed that he gets that extra yard. There were a couple plays where he was like stopped for eight yards, and then he got two, three, four more yards to get a first down or something else. It's like, those extra yards moving forward from Michael Carter is why we love him. Brees Hall, we talked about him in the rookie section. He had a good game, started a little bit slow, but made some nice plays, and I think that one-two punch is going to be really nice all season long. And because it's so good, we saw no Ty Johnson. Zam, uh, Bam Zonovan Knight was moved to the practice squad, so we saw none of him either. So it was just those two backs. I think they did pretty well. Brees Hall didn't have that fumble. If Michael Carter didn't have that drop, things would run better. But Carter's our offensive player of the game. And the only guy really competing with him, in my opinion, was a wide receiver. And that guy being Corey Davis. And a lot of people will disagree with this, and they're going to say, you're just looking at the stats because he had the most receptions and most receiving yards on the team, but he played a bad game. Listen, Corey Davis, the slander has to stop now because everybody is against this guy for some weird reason. He's a team captain for us. He's a great guy. He's a professional. He comes in, he plays, and he plays hard. And he's the guy that has production every single time he's on the field. Look at all the games he played last year when he was healthy. Look at this game this year. Regardless of it being Mike White, Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, they find the ball in his hands downfield. 15 yards, 16, 20 yards, 
picking up chunk gainers, not a lot of yards after catch, but the guy can block, and he always finds productivity. And in this game alone, he had six catches, 77 yards on nine targets, and I know he had a bad drop. The ball was thrown behind him. It was raining. It was early. A lot of guys had drops. Michael Carter had a great game. We're not going to chastise that guy because he had a, a drop, right? Corey Davis has a ball behind him, couldn't catch it, and for crying out loud, this is the guy that gets it done. First quarter, second quarter, late in the game. He could have been the player of the game. You look at the other wide receivers who also played really well. Elijah Moore, he was shifty. Still looks like he's going to be an absolute weapon for the Jets. Five catches for 49 yards in this game on his seven targets. Garrett Wilson, we said like right away. Second he started getting the ball, he was shifty, looking really good. Finished with four catches for 52 yards. Second most yards on the team in his first week. And he didn't even start the game right away. The most snaps for the wide receivers was Elijah Moore. He played like, what do I have here? 89% of the snaps. Next most was Corey Davis at like 70%. So you can see they really want to run Elijah Moore. They feel confident about him in all sets and all packages. Corey Davis being the next man up right now. And then Garrett Wilson, followed by Braxton Berrios. Denzel Mims was the healthy, healthy scratch in this game. Didn't necessarily need him. Jeff Smith did play, was on the field for a couple, but uh, not super involved early. We got no injuries in that group, so... Those are the four we're going to see, but watch Elijah Moore get a lion's share. And then Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson probably like mixing in right behind that. Tight end, Tyler Conklin was the guy who was the big name all preseason, all offseason. He's played really, really well in all those games. He made a couple of bad mistakes in this one. A ball was thrown low. He dropped it. We had our first third down conversion of the game in Baltimore territory deep down the field. We needed points, and he got it, caught it, and then fumbled it. And we weren't able to pick up the first down because of it. So that really sucked. And then he did get a touchdown late in the game at the very end, garbage time. But uh, I did want to touch on this because I think this is one of the most negative things about the game that wasn't part of the negatives. But the Jets at the end of the game with like four minutes to go, needing points, just like their inability to get them was so pitiful and embarrassing. The amount of plays that they ran from inside the 30 and 20 yard line over and over, getting flags, getting the DJ Reed interception, just the Ravens in the last four minutes of garbage time just trying to give the Jets points, and it was so freaking difficult. Nobody could catch the ball, getting offensive pass interferences and penalties and then making it up, and it was just like really 40 plays from inside the 20 or whatever it took to freaking get one touchdown pass to Tyler Conklin. And frankly, I was very happy that when he did get that touchdown, he didn't celebrate, and he actually looked like kind of depressed about the whole thing too because it was not an exciting touchdown. And there was no reason to be given ball spikes and chest bumps. It was, it is what it is. But he played the most snaps of any tight end. He was used early, helping block with Max Mitchell staying in line. But he did end up going out for some routes later on. He played, uh, what do we have here, 77 snaps. That's compared to Tyler Conklin's 23 snaps. Or not Tyler Conklin, CJ Uzoma's 23 snaps. Um, So Uzoma was kind of minimal involvement early on. Which I think is to be expected that Tyler Conklin is probably the tight end one. Uzama, the tight end, too, who will get plenty of play. And then you had Lawrence Cager, who was the guy guilty of the big hold when they had a nice play, and he had the hold on it, and also slipped on Joe Flacco's interception is the reason that Marcus Williams is wide open for the interception. Lawrence Cager is basically the worst player on the active 53-man roster, and he's there as a uh, sort of project tight end, right? But we know he's like a mismatch but he's not really ready for it. I said he wasn't a lock to make the team by any stretch. 
He's one of the worst players on the roster right now. He should not be on the field, and he showed it. We have a lot of players that are better than that. CJ Uzomas and Tyler Conklins and Garrett Wilsons who weren't getting play. Lawrence Cager, he's not a mismatch if he makes mistakes like that. He's only hurting our team, and until he gets that stuff down and really kind of cleans it up, he's probably not a guy we want to be throwing out there too much. And then lastly, the offensive line. The left side was a mess. George Fant was beat up by 33-year-old Justin Houston, who had his way with him. Lakin Tomlinson, the worst game we've seen from him in a long time. Connor McGovern, Elijah Vera Tucker, not horrible, but not great. I mean, the running attack was pretty successful overall, and they were able to overcome a Max Mitchell first start, even though the guy was a mid-round draft pick from the Sun Belt, never played against this level of competition in his life. But like I said, Michael Pierce, Justin Matabuike, they were having uh, their time with this Jets offensive line, and they got to get it together moving forward. We'll see what happens. But that's what we have for the offensive side of the ball. So now, before we move over to the defensive side of the ball, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's On Tap, the section where I talk about the beer or beverage that I'm currently drinking while recording this podcast episode. And today, I have got a wonderful whiskey sour. And for those of you joining us on the YouTube channel, you're able to actually see the What's On Tap for the first time instead of just hearing me take awkward sips throughout a podcast. You can see it. And it makes it so much more real. The condensation drips down my hand from this delicious whiskey sour made by Fiance Shannon. Soon to have a name change, but currently Fiance Shannon. It's uh, Cooper's Mark Whiskey, which is the same one I used a week or two ago. I don't even remember when I drank a week or two ago. I think I made a whiskey ginger with the Cooper's Mark. She used the same one. It's a good mixing whiskey. Decent level price, but good uh, smoothness. And then a bunch of like fresh lemon. It's not Lemon mix. I don't know. Kitty, you ever had like a whiskey sour with like the lemon mix? It's our sweet Not as sour good. mix or something? Not as good. It's like a syrup or something. It's too sweet. Fiance Shannon takes lemons, like three of them, and just pulverizes them with this cruncher. Yeah. And then creates these fresh things. I even got this, she would not like my fingers being in there, but this lemon peel with some zest in there. Yeah. It's a treat. And so, week one, we decided to go a little bit extra. We're doing this video thing. I was like, you know what? Let's do a nice cocktail for it, and uh, that's what I'm enjoying. I don't have much left. The ice is giving me a little bit more run. Potentially can get us to the defensive side of the ball. What's your to... What's your drink of choice on wedding day? What do you, Do you have that planned out? I get a signature cocktail. Okay. Yeah, so Shannon is doing a, uh... shit, I forget what it's called. Something with gin. I was to make another. My signature cocktail is a mint julep. Amazing. Which is something that I don't make, but Beyonce Shannon does. I've not, I don't think I've done it on the podcast because it's too, too much stuff. It's like simple syrup, water, mint, and bourbon. Cool. And it's good. I forget what hers is. It's some with gin. I don't know. She loves gin. I don't really drink a lot of gin. She makes a bunch of gin drinks. She's a fantastic mixologist, as you know. So True. We get the, it's because she's a Taurus. Is that what it is? I think so. Yeah. And Sagittarius is much loved to drink. So that makes sense. Well, that is this week's What's on Tap. Thank you, Fiance Shannon. And before we go over to the defensive side of the ball, we do have to take a quick commercial break. All righty, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life. We've talked positives, negatives, father time. We've talked AFC East check-in and offense, but we still have to talk about the defense, the special teams, and then preview that Browns game for next week. So starting with the defense in this game against the Ravens, you got to feel good about the defensive line. And I know the Ravens are missing 
their starting left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, and All-Pro. Juwan James fills in for him, who's not great, oft injured, gets injured in this game and leaves. They're playing a third-string tackle at points. I know it's not, you know, the best offensive line in the entire league with what they had on the field, but you got to feel really good about the rotation the Jets are running out there. Carl Lawson looked awesome. He had a bunch of quarterback pressures, quarterback hits in the game. He was making his presence felt. John Franklin Myers had a couple hurries in this game. Michael Clemens showed that power. Jacob Martin had a half sack, which Jermaine Johnson who had that half sack. Quinnen Williams, he looks to be the best Quinnen Williams we've ever had. And he's such an easy guy to root for. He is easily one of my favorite players on the team. Such a happy guy. And he played 70% of the snaps, which is the most of any defensive lineman. They really ran a, a pretty serious rotation. Nobody played more than 36 snaps in this game. But he had a sack, a really nice pass deflection when he jumped up the middle that almost was intercepted the way he got both hands on the ball. And, uh, yeah, Quinnen just looks like he's going to have a really good year. The other guys in the middle... There was a lot of run on Rankins. He played a lot in this game. And then a healthy dosage of Nathan Shepard. And every single time you see him on the field, you get a little bit nervous because he's not very good. But he played a bit. And uh, overall, the way they stopped the run, you feel good about that. The way they got some pressure on Lamar Jackson, it is Lamar Jackson. He's difficult to sack. You know, I know he stands in the pocket and he tries to make plays. So you can get him. He's not impossible to sack. But the way he moves around and, and the way you have to keep guys on the edge to contain, the way they did that, and still stopped the run, and still got some pressure on Lamar Jackson, and all those guys at different points flashed. There was a point where I was like, I haven't seen much from John Franklin Myers, and then two plays later, boom, there he is. And you're like, oh, John, Jacob Martin and Jermaine Johnson have been quiet, and then there they are. So it was nice to see a little bit of everybody. That's what that rotation's going to look like all year long. Linebacker, those boys came out hitting hard. We had a pretty bad group there last year. We had C.J. Mosley, who played well and had not much around him. Thompson Nasraldine didn't play well, got injured. Jamie and Sherwood didn't play well, got injured. Gerard Davis didn't play well. Quincy Williams was kind of raw and trying to learn the position more. He still is raw, but he's better now than he was last year. He's hitting hard, and he's moving a little bit more aggressively, faster, with a little bit more purpose. And I think that's because the defense around him and the people are a little bit better around him. And then that other side, Quan Alexander, his presence was felt right away. Quan was making big hits from, like, the first or second play of the game. He was hitting guys hard, and he's going to be a nice guy to have out there because he's moving quick, he's on a mission, plays with that violence just like Quincy Williams that Robert Sala wants, and they're getting to that kill zone. C.J. Mosley, of course, leads the team in tackles. He's like that just steady anchor in the middle of the field. I don't care what PFF or anybody says about his season last year. He was great last year. He came right back in and is great this year. He's the anchor of the defense, the defensive captain, leads the team in tackles, does his job. They score 60, or they get 62 total rushing yards, 63 total rushing yards on three yards per carry as an average. A lot of those runs going up the middle. Who do you think was responsible for stopping that run? If C.J. Mosley's not there, they don't hold him to 63 yards. They don't keep the Ravens to the lowest rushing total in the Lamar Jackson era. C.J. Mosley is super responsible for that. As I said, led the team 11 tackles, seven of them being solo. Happy to have him out there. You feel pretty good about the linebacker group. Early in the game, I was saying probably second drive, maybe even first drive, it was like we are bound to get personal foul penalty very soon. The way we were just absolutely crushing, like, Quan Alexander, Jordan Whitehead, and Quincy Williams were just knocking shoulders into everybody, and you're like, man, 15 yards is coming soon. And it probably will in one of these games coming up. It's going to hurt us pretty bad, but setting the tempo and making the Ravens a little bit nervous early, I think – Helped out a lot in this game. Moving over to the cornerbacks, 
We played mostly a two-man set, that being DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. Um, Michael Carter, two, came in a little bit on nickel. We played even less dime. Bryce Hall came in for those. Those are the only real four cornerbacks that played in this game. Sauce and DJ Reed are elite. Sauce, beautiful plays. That one against Mark Andrews, awesome. We talked about him. DJ Reed is our defensive player of the game, obviously. DJ Reed was ridiculous. He was hitting hard, tackling well, which is so big for us because when you look at the cornerbacks from last year, there were times, it was a bad soft zone. We always complained about it. Um, but there were times when those guys couldn't even tackle. Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles made some nice plays here and there and gave you reason for optimism, but they couldn't tackle well. And right away, DJ Reed comes in at five foot nine and he tackles guys hard. He gets a forced fumble in this game, cleans up all of his tackles, and then gets that huge interception at the end. Um, we know he made that big gesture on the field after he got it, and then you got a lot of. Uh, hate and criticism for doing that, like, wow, they're losing this game. How could he be celebrating an interception like that? We find out after the game that his father passed away. So our prayers go out to Dennis, I believe it's Dennis Reed Jr. Um, Super sad. Didn't know that that happened. Just kind of another reason to, like, let's not judge these guys on the field for doing something like that because you have no idea what they're going through in their own life. And it was super impactful and meaningful for him, I'm sure. And uh, just a great game from DJ Reed. He's a guy that, like, Coming into the season, I was not super high on. I had some skepticism about his size, his speed. Maybe he didn't have the makeup speed, but we saw it on a couple plays when guys got deep and he was behind a couple steps while the ball was in the air. He caught up. He looks really good, and he had one of the best PFF grades for defensive players in the entire league. And, I mean, he's going to be a nice guy to watch all season long. Great sticky coverage. Sauce Gardner on the other side. This is part of reason to be super excited about the Jets team right now. Because you got two outside cornerbacks. It's almost like Antonio Cromartie and Darrell Rivas or something again. It's like a real, a real pairing there, and that's a big deal. Michael Carter, too. He had a couple nice tackles, got injured real quick, came back. Um, he was hitting pretty hard, it looked like, for a small guy. Bryce Hall, he was burned on a touchdown. It actually was good coverage, but just like his preseason, like Bryce Hall's getting so unlucky. Like he gave up that touchdown. He was playing Devin Duvernay, had his hand right up there. And basically knocked the ball out, and uh, that's just the story of Bryce Hall's 2022 campaign, apparently. That's why he's cornerback four at this point in time. We'll see if he can rebound next week. Um, But, yeah, we're going to see more nickel and dime formations from the Jets. This was a different game plan because they have limited outside receivers in Baltimore. you got to keep guys in. you got to contain Lamar Jackson. you got to watch the tight ends. Isaiah likely played a lot. Mark Andrews, of course. A lot of running backs. Get your tacklers on the field, and then – you're really guarding Devin Duvernay and Rashad Bateman. You don't need a lot of nickel or dime. So we didn't see a lot, but moving forward, we'll see more. Talking about the safeties, I like Jordan Whitehead. He hits hard. He looks like he's going to be a good safety for the Jets. Good, strong safety. Probably an improvement over what we've had. Um, Last year was kind of a mix of Marcus May, kind of like a hybrid, strong, free safety. Elijah Riley and some other people. Will Parks moving into that role next to him. Right now, Jordan Whitehead is solidified as a strong safety who hits hard, and it's nice to have that again. The other side, LaMarcus Joyner. We're not stoked about LaMarcus Joyner and his play, but the problem is, who is his viable replacement if it's not LaMarcus Joyner? He got burned on a couple big plays. A couple of those touchdowns were his fault, bad penalty. He looks like he's not the answer. Who do you go to? Undrafted free agent Tony Adams? Do you go to Ashton Davis, who we've seen miss tackles and get burned for the last two years? You go over to Will Parks, who's later in his career a practice squad guy that other teams aren't scooping up right now. You know, he wasn't a Jason Pinnock who got picked up for another roster. He's kind of just hanging out there because 
he maybe isn't a full-time starting uh, safety in this league. And we got to figure out what we're going to do there. It's probably going to be an issue for the Jets until uh, they get a little bit more chemistry on that back end. My dad's not high on Joyner right now. It's hard for me to say I am either. So that is our defensive side of the ball. When you look at special teams, PFF liked the special teams performance of the Jets. No Jets fan did. My dad hated it. I was higher on it than he was. Braxton Berrios is great, but like he said, he needs more opportunities to return punts. Especially on big fields, we need coverage for long enough. He's not fair catching because he's not fair catching, catching like he's a chicken or you know he's supposed to be running these out. He's not doing it with guys 15, 20 yards away from him. They're just getting to him too quickly on 50, 40-yard punts. Um, the more he gets opportunities to run those back, the better our special teams will look. Braden Mann, he's got to not have bad shanks. Has to take take those out of his game. Greg Zerline cannot miss extra points. Absolutely can't miss extra points. That's like the one thing that is a free point, basically. Field goals, I mean, he made one in this game, but 50%, obviously not good enough. He's going to have to make a few more in a row to even get to that 80% benchmark that we're looking for in our kicker that we thought we'd find when we got a veteran like Greg Zerline, but uh, it is... It is what it is at this point in time. We will either cut him if he continues to play bad for the next three, four weeks, but we have to roll with him a little bit more and see if it was just a rainy game just week one. See if he can bounce back, and it's possible he can. He's been in the league for long enough. He is a veteran. But this was potentially the worry going in when we got him. The special teams player of the game is, obviously, Braxton Berrios because of that great return game, because of the 15 yards per average on his punts. Only two returns, but he's already fourth in the league. Like we said, picking up where he left off. And uh, other than that, the only guy that really had a chance to get that would be Thomas Hennessy, who made a nice open field tackle as a long snapper. Doesn't happen all the time. He could have been in the mix, but Braxton Berrios playing well. He's our special teams player of the game. So that is all we have for special teams. The last order of business is just to preview the Browns this upcoming Sunday at 1 p.m. So last order of business in this podcast is to preview the Browns game upcoming this week, Sunday, at 1 p.m. on CBS. This is not one of the primetime games. This is not even one of the top-tier games, and that is why we are going to get Sparrow, Dee's and Jay Feely on the call. Not the best crew. Jay Feely, good guy, decent kicker, not a great color commentator. Sparrow, Dee's is fine, but that's just not the crew you really want to have. Better than uh, who we had this past week, but still. Um, that's what we're going to see a lot of this year, being in, like, that final... E-team, F-team, D-team in these games on CBS and, and Fox. It's like never going to – we're not going to get Tony Romo, Jim Nance for any games. Like, I don't think there's many scenarios unless we start winning, which hopefully will happen this week. It is the Browns' home opener. The Browns are starting as six-and-a-half-point favorites, and their field will be covered with a stupid big uh, – his name is Brownie the Elf. He's like their old logo from way back in the day, and I guess they've decided this is the big week, their big home opener in 2022 – they want to make sure that Brownie the Elf is the full center of attention. He's like a 20-yard square logo just absolutely taking over the entire middle of the field. It's going to be very obnoxious to see that thing. They already posted it on Twitter and showed some pictures. I don't know if we have one we can put up, Katie. But, yeah, so look for Brownie the Elf. He will be very hard to miss on that field. When you look at Jacoby Brissett and the Browns, 
who are playing, obviously, without Deshaun Watson for the first 11 weeks of this season. They just went up against their former quarterback, Baker Mayfield, and the Carolina Panthers in Week 1, and they won 26-24 to in Carolina. So that was great to see because Baker Mayfield has always thought he was way better than he is, and uh, he got a little bit coming to him there. He beat Sam Darnold out for the job. Sam got injured. Baker's there. But he can even beat his own team with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback on his new team. And it's uh, just not a great not a great look for him. I'm sure he's not feeling great about it. But when you look at the Cleveland Browns and their win in that game, I'm actually happy that they won. I think that I would rather the Browns win that game and be complacent and like kind of happy at 1-0 than barely lose and go into the game against the Jets like really pissed off. Like, shoot, we left stuff on the field. We got to make up for it. I feel like there would be more urgency. I get, like, is that... I think they're riding on a high for sure. They partied hard after that win. They partied hard, right? Definitely. Yeah, and so like a little bit more just like, see, our stuff's working. Maybe it's just yeah. those little things mentally. And the Jets, meanwhile, are... I'm hoping I'm hoping the Jets' defense will score once against Jacoby. I think they definitely, uh, they definitely could. Jacoby Brissett is not like the scariest quarterback to go up against. It's like totally opposite of Lamar Jackson, who is such a threat in the running game and he can pass and he's got that huge arm and it's like you get nervous to even go after him and you know that he can beat you deep Jacoby Brissett can't run he's never run for like more than 300 yards in a season um, the guy stands in the pocket for a long time he can take sacks he's pretty smart and pretty good as a veteran quarterback in terms of making decisions and whatnot but he just doesn't have the physical traits to really be that much of a risk and when you look at the Jets players we have enough elite talent on the field we're going to talk about that side but you know, starting with the coaching staff of the Cleveland Browns, it's their same unit from last year, head coach Kevin Stefanski, offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt, defensive coordinator Joe Woods. It's not as good a coaching staff as the Baltimore Ravens that we just went up against. Not even close. And those guys could all be on their way out if the Browns have a bad season. I know they're going to get a little bit more run because they're playing without Deshaun Watson for the first 11 weeks, so potentially you're not even counting that as a GM or an owner. You're like, oh, we weren't supposed to win those first 11 games. If they win when Deshaun Watson comes in, they'll probably get a little bit more more rope. But overall, that unit has proven to be up and down. They have a very talented roster year in, year out since they've been there, and they have mixed results. I think that the Jets, when you look at the Cleveland Browns' offense, I think the Jets' defense can do well against them. We talked about Jacoby Brissett. He's not a huge risk taker. He's not a big running threat. The real threat on that team comes in the running backs, and they had a huge week this past week. Nick Chubb. And Kareem Hunt combined for 217 yards rushing on the ground. A lot of it came from Nick Chubb, but Kareem Hunt had a nice game, scoring touchdowns as well. And those two players, they can catch, they can run. The offensive line in Cleveland is really good. They got good run blocking. They only gave up one sack against Carolina, who doesn't have an elite pass rush, but should be able to get after a guy like Jacoby Brissett more than that. You worry about that offensive line. I think the Jets' defensive line can do well against them. And then when you look at the, the back half of the field, Cleveland Brown passing options. It's Amari Cooper is number one. Didn't have a big week one showing with Jacoby Brissett. Number two, and the guy that had the most action in week one was Donovan Peoples-Jones. Anthony Schwartz is kind of a speed threat, and they got their two tight ends, Anthony Schwartz and David Njoku. David Njoku's got a little bit more speed. Harrison Bryant's got a little bit more, you know, that uh, security blanket tight end style like a Tyler Conklin. And it really isn't that scary on paper if you can stop the run. The Jets did a great job against the Baltimore Ravens stopping the run. It was huge. They We talked about that 63 total yards for the Ravens. Awesome. But the Browns is a different story, and the Browns really are going to rely on that run. They're not going to give up on it. 
It's not going to be Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis. It's going to be Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And if the Jets are getting gashed and they score, you know, if, if they get 140 yards rushing, it's going to be a long day for the Jets. If we can hold them to 120 or less and then keep Jacoby Brissett in check with no huge gainers, no big lapses in defense, I'm looking at you safeties, I think there's definitely an opportunity for the Jets to play great defense and keep the Browns scoring down big time. The problem is, can Joe Flacco score? Can this offense of the Jets score against the Cleveland Browns? And the Browns have some great defensive players. Miles Garrett, one of the best in the entire league, was the highest-rated pro football-focused player in Week 1, which isn't the biggest deal in the world, but he did have the highest grade, and this guy's an absolute animal getting after the quarterback. You're talking about putting him up against George Fant, who just had trouble with Justin Houston at 33 years old. You don't feel great about that matchup. On the other side, Max Mitchell, a rookie, did okay in Week 1. Now he's going up against a guy like Jadavian Clowney, who's not the scariest pass rusher in the league, but he's better than anybody in the Sun Belt. So that defensive line could be scary. Joe Flacco, we saw taking sacks or, or waiting, waiting for the pressure to get there, fumbling the ball, throwing it at the last minute, getting intentional groundings. We got to make sure that we get some guys outside with the ball in their hands, some screen passes, some end arounds to keep them from having just pure pursuit at Joe Flacco all game we got to run the ball well. we got to get those wide receivers, ball in their hands. They have a pretty good linebacking group. they got athletic guys. Jeremiah Awusu-Karamoa, JOK, is very athletic and can do well. Taki Taki, also a decent player. Their secondary is a big-time strength. Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom, two good cornerbacks. They signed John Johnson and then drafted Grant Delpit. So right there, like they've really tried to revamp that secondary in the last few years, and it's better than it's been. So we have to try to find opportunities to score with Joe Flacco. We have to rely on our run. Maybe take advantage of Miles Garrett coming upfield, going after Joe Flacco. When he comes up, send your guys in right around him. Maybe you're doing just seal blocks and you're having George Fant keep him, push him outside, and go right back through his gap. There's a lot of opportunities for the Jets to uh, to get points in this game, but they're going to have to get the running game going because Joe Flacco can't do it all alone, especially against that secondary. Could be a low-scoring game. They have a rookie kicker. Cade York, who made all of his kicks last week, I think it was four field goals, two extra points, but rookie kickers miss kicks, so we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be similar to last week, but their team with the Browns is less scary than the Ravens. We stop that run, we get into a rhythm. The Jets win this game 23-16 to in Cleveland. That's close to... To my prediction. What is your prediction for this I'm, game? I'm a huge numbers person. I think both teams are going to, they're going to both leave one and one. I think the Jets pull it out with 22 points uh, in year 2022, 22, okay. 17. 22 to 17. All right. So similar. Like I have us winning by seven. You got us winning by five. I'd like to see a safety and I'd like to see like the defense definitely score t- a touchdown. Okay. And that might be our best chance, like scoring safeties and Defensive touchdowns might be our best path to 23 points. As pathetic as that is, we should be able to get 23 points on offense. But if we can limit them, hold them to 16 points or 17 points, we got to feel good about it. We have to be able to score more than 16 or 17 points. The defense can do that. The offense has to help them out. So that's what I got for this podcast. Um, as a schedule reminder, not going to have any video for a while. Going to maybe pick that up after the wedding. Going to do podcast audio only next week. Then going to do another one after the wedding that'll probably be a quick one. Don't expect much for that week. Warning you now. And then we'll talk about doing some video stuff in the meantime. You know, after that, maybe doing some Monday stuff. Leave comments, you know. Find it on YouTube. 
I'll find a, I'll put a link on Twitter at jets underscore Dan. I'll put a link somewhere in like the bio of the episode, but uh, it'll be under, this is the jet life, you know, Ravens pre or Ravens review Browns preview should be easy to find. If you like it, let us know. So we keep doing more and you know, obviously thank Katie for her awesome time. Appreciate you coming here, Katie. Um, yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you in October. I'll be around. I think Mondays are a great, great idea. I think we're going to get a lot of W's in October. I hope so. <laughs> I'll have the energy, and if not, we'll have the drinks. One way or another, we're going to have fun. That is all we got. So, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you to Katie. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life.